Amen. Appreciate that. We have a wonderful Lord, don't we? Beautiful song about that. Well, grab your Bibles this morning. Let's get to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. I know that many of you don't know me personally. I wish I could know each of you. Uh, those of us on the board here pray for you much. Uh, we'll try to get to know you as best we can. Uh, we have the joy and delight of having several of you at our church. I, most, of us, most of you have already said hi to my family, and I appreciate that. We just cherish every moment we can with those young people. If you, want, if you don't have a home church while you're here at Maranatha, please come to my church, all right? That's just the bottom line. And if, if we need to add on to the church, we'll do that. We'll, anything we can to be a blessing and help. We have a ball. Uh, usually Sundays to us are a highlight. Um, some of the young people come down on Wednesday nights. That's a sacrifice. It's an hour from here. We just rejoice in that opportunity to minister alongside uh, and grow in the Lord Jesus Christ together. That's just a real blessing. Uh, yes, I'm not quite as old as Dr. Marriott. Um, I do like to say I came to Maranatha in 1971 as a third grader. My, <laughs> my, my father came as a married student, and uh, what a joy and delight. It was life-changing for us. Um, Dad and Mom had grown up in the Covenant Church. It was through Dad's business that God directed us to a place where there was a, just a godly, faithful businessman along, came alongside my father, discipled him. We became Baptists. I watched my mom and dad become Baptists. Um, so it's cherished to my heart uh, to have that, that faith and that doctrine in my life. Anyways, we come here. Um, so yes, I knew Dr. Cedarholm. One of the greatest highlights of my life as a fun story was uh, my mom and my younger sister were at a football game. This was back before this field was even built back here, all those kinds of things. Um, and uh, we were out at Washington Park in, t in town, and it was a cold, cold day. So mom, mom kind of stretched the rules a little bit, and she had my sister in slacks back in those days, all right? And, and a coat, stocking cap, and Dr. Cedron came up and said, well, Mrs. Anderson, it's good to see your preacher boy here, um, talking about my sister. And, and, and Mom and Michelle just, you know, they kind of held it, held it together while he walked away, and then they were just busting up laughing. It was the story of our life that my sister's a preacher boy. Of course, Dr. Sears. <laughs> anyway, lots of precious memories from those days. Um, college is a great time of your life. Obviously, I know that you've been told that often. Don't, uh, don't miss the opportunity. You're here to learn. Um, and that education is critical for your walk with the Lord and critical for you're living, um, so don't miss that. Yes, have a great time, um, and, and there's obviously things that are going to happen in your life at this point, and yes, you'll have friends. I, I would say that many of my friends I grew to know later, it was in seminary days, that I still have connection with some, some of those folks. Um, I traveled a lot from Maranatha, and so I still to this day have folks walk up to me, Dave, how you doing? Fine, who are you? I, and I don't, I, so it's just a part of life. Um, but I do cherish those years, and the education was critical for my spiritual well-being and discipleship, and I'm grateful for that. All right, well, let's take the time this morning to dig into this passage. Um, the disciples here in, in Luke chapter 11 ask, I think, a very significant question, and it comes from a heart, I believe, that is a heart full of desire to follow the Lord and to know him and to understand how to live life with him. So it says in verse 1, it came to pass that as he was praying, as Christ was praying in a certain place, when he stopped, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Um, there was something significant, it seemed, as they observed and watched Christ's prayer with his Father. 
that said, I want that kind of relationship. Um, and, and Jesus just seems to talk to the Father, and, and it's like everything seems to be right there. And we would like to be able to have that close relationship with him too. It's a telling question. Uh, we would probably want to say, Lord, how do I get answers to my prayer? Um, I think if we're honest, we go to the Lord in prayer, and we pray, and then I'm afraid too often as Christians we say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm too scared to say the reality that I don't get an answer. It doesn't seem like God answers my prayer. Have you been there? And we come to these verses, in fact, if, you, if your mind can wander, your eyes can wander down. Verse 9 said unto them, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Well, that sounds like if I ask, I get. Why is it that I don't get? Well, that's a really good question. And I sense, because of Christ's teaching here, that's, that's what the disciples are getting at all the way back up in verse 1. Lord, help me understand, what is this thing called prayer, and how does it work, and how can it be effective? Can, can I get answers to my prayer? Good question. So let's read Christ's answer. Verse 2. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father... Now, notice every word and all the words are important, young people. So he starts at a very important point, our Father. Uh, if you look, the end, of the, the end of the paragraph or the idea comes all the way down to the end of verse 13. And notice what he talks about there. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly, what's the word? Father, give to the Holy Spirit, the, uh, give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Um, so that seems to be a fairly significant point. Let's keep on going with that thought in mind. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, holy be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. We're used to hearing the Matthew passage on this. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So he gives a sample prayer. We often, often call it the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer, really. Teach us to pray. Okay, so Jesus gives a sample, an idea, a cue. Now, he's not done teaching, though. And here we come to the good stuff. Can I put it that way? All of a sudden, it starts connecting. And he said unto them. Now, if you can look in your scriptures here for a minute, most of you would see at the end of verse 6, there's a question mark. You see that? All right, now in Greek, there was no punctuation. Um, the narrative clue here is actually at the beginning of verse 8. I say unto you, this is the answer. So the question runs from verses 5 to 7. 7 is a part of the question, all right? I'm going to read it that way. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine, is in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. 
He's saying, which of you would have a friend that would be on the inside and wouldn't come out and give him? The, 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 the obvious answer to all the disciples was, no, all my friends would help me no matter what. I say unto you. So here's Jesus' reply to that question. I say unto you, though he will not rise, talking about the guy, the sleeper on the inside, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity. Now, when was the last time you used that word? Okay, we'll get there. But that's really actually important. Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Now, you say there's a lot of prepositions in there. He says, is this an English lesson? Hang on, all right? I want you to think with me through. This is really important. As you read scripture, you'd better ask the questions, what is he saying? I want to understand. So we have all of these prepositions. He's, 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 he's. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the sleeper. The guy on the inside of the house. So I say unto you, though the sleeper will not rise and give now him, the man at the door, because the man at the door is the sleeper's friend, yet because of the sleeper's importunity, he, the sleeper, will rise and give him, the man at the door, as many as he needeth. Now, for all of our professors here today, all right, just for a moment, as you, the structure that Jesus Christ uses in that verse is, is a, a unique organiz, organ, organization of it. It's a, we call it a chiasm, all right? And that because phrase on the second phrase is, is giving us the clue. It's like, how do you know that it's the guy on the inside that's the one that's importune? Um, because the structure says so. It drives us right to that point. All of the structure says it's the sleeper he's talking about. You say, why is that significant? Hang on, I'll show you in just a minute. Let's keep reading, all right? Verse 9. So in light of the fact that there's this guy on the inside that will get up and get up, give him food, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you as a father, will he give him a stone? <laughs> or if he ask a fish... Will he for a fish give him a serpent? Of course not. That's the obvious answer. Or, verse 10, 12, I'm sorry. Or if he shall ask an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If ye, you people here, even he's talking about if you disciples, if ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? How do I get answers to my prayer? What's the mysterious method to get God to do what I want him to do? Now you say, that's blasphemous, and it is. And yet that's the way we treat our prayers a lot of times. God is not a genie in a lamp that can be rubbed the right way and said, all right, poof, what do you want? That's not who God is. The answer to the question, teach us to pray, Lord, lies not in what is prayed or how it is prayed. It lies in knowing to whom, to whom you are praying. Now, this may be a brand new thought for you. You say, well, I know who I'm praying to. Our dear Heavenly Father, all right? That's who I'm praying to. Do you know him? 
Because if you know him, you'll pray according to his will. And you'll get an answer. Um, I have a wonderful, wonderful father. We had the, uh, um, the tonal defenders at our church a couple weeks ago. We had some fun with them afterwards. And I'd, I'd given all the tonal defenders some blow-up swords, just goofing around. We had sword fights in our fellowship hall. It was a blast for just a moment. Well, I, I, I set up Mr. Wright and Coach Pill, Dr. Davis, and I needed one more, one more person. My father now, he's retired, but he's my assistant pastor. You can't get better than this. This is just like great. Anyways, so I said, Dad, you come up, and we're going to have a, a duel, all right? Two, two on two here. Taking on, well, I should have known. My father's an athlete. When he was in high school, he ran Olympic speed in the 100-yard dash. Um, I could not outrun my father until he was in his 60s, and I was usually the fastest kid in my class. Anyways, there we go. So he, and, and he played football. He played basketball. He ran track. Anyways, um, played baseball. He was a semi-pro baseball player. So sports was kind of cool in my life, all right? Big stuff. Um, my dad is 85 years old. Well, he gets the sword, and he, he's going to be the sacrifice. He's on Dr. Davis's team. And it's Coach Pill and Mr. Wright against Dr. Davis and my dad. <laughs> Little did they know I had stacked the teams for Dr. Davis. <laughs> because my dad was on Dr. Davis's team. <laughs> so dad goes in. He, he knows, Coach, I'm sorry, he really hardly knows anything about soccer except for what he's learned from my sons. Yeah, anyways, all right. So, and he cheers them on, all right. Um, as Dr. Marriott used to say, soccer's, uh, what was it, like an international... Uh, conspiracy, yeah, one world government type thing. Anyways, okay, soccer players, now I've offended everybody, right? It's, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so my father, he, all right, I, I say draw swords, charge. Well, dad doesn't, care, he could care less about hitting the guys, Mr. Wright and Coach Pill. He goes and basically body blocks them so Dr. Davis can we'll just wipe them all out. And one fell blow. Well, then they start, they start beating up on my dad. Here's my dad, an 85-year-old guy, kind of tackling these other men. Um, that's my dad. And it's like, he's my hero. I told my wife later, it's like, that, it's just, it flooded, flooded my mind with all my boyhood and teenage memories. It's like, I'm his son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, 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 right. Now, whenever I ask dad, dad, I, I think I need this. I, I generally already knew the answer. Now, Dad had taught me well. There were things I knew I, there was no way to ask for. It was a desire, but not necessary. So I didn't ask. I, I, I knew my father's will. But Dad, absolutely, absolutely delighted to love on his son. I was his only son. It's a cherished position that I hold dear to this day. I have a wonderful relationship with my dad. And so I know what to ask, even to this day. Dad, what do you think? I can almost tell you I already know the answer. Because dad's been a faithful, consistent, godly pastor Christian for years. And as, I've, as a son, as I've tried to learn and follow, pay attention to who he is, his walk with the Lord, I generally know the answer. 
but it's still a delight to ask. Now, we don't have time today. I'm a long-winded preacher. But let me just, if you're writing some things down, let me just give you some thoughts here. This, the, the disciples' prayer here, don't forget that you pray to your Holy Father. So, as I pray to my Holy Father, who's cherished, I make His name holy in my life. I should make Him king of my heart. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I should acknowledge Him as master. I should be content with His provisions, day by day, my daily bread. I should not neglect His mercies to me. I should cling Cling to his spiritual power. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil. What a great father we have. Now, if you'll run with me then in your thoughts, because we need to get the idea right, because I want to park in the middle on the parable for a second. But you run to the end, and we see not only this holy father, but we see a father who is very, very generous. At the end, if a son asks bread... Of a father, will he give him a stone? Of course not. If you ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? No. Ask an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Of course not. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? God is a generous Father. Now, stop for a moment, just so I want you to understand. Does that mean today I'm still supposed to be asking the Lord, give me the Holy Spirit? No. (laughs) You are indwelt by the Spirit of God the moment you receive Christ as your Savior. You have the Spirit already, but stop and consider the disciples here. If any of them, and I suspect they did, they were, they were the chosen. They wanted to follow the Lord. I realize we had a rebel in Judas, I understand, okay. But the rest of them wanted to follow the Lord. And they lived in the Old Testament dispensation yet, where the Holy Spirit came on men to empower them for a certain work. Could you imagine growing up, seeing maybe the prophet Jeremiah, maybe the prophet Isaiah, Ezekiel, you're over in Babylon with Ezekiel, and you see them declaring God's word, and you want to love and follow God, and they have something you don't have. They're empowered like you don't understand and know. That thought for the disciples is still like, oh, if I could have the Holy Spirit to do the work of God that he's called me to do, what a blessing. This is like the greatest thing in the disciples' mind that they could have in answer to prayer. Shall not the Father give you the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Our God is most generous. You say, well, I I, I don't see that. When When I ask for things in prayer, It doesn't seem like he gives me a generous answer. Maybe you don't know your father well enough. Uh, James says something along the line, ask and you shall receive, but you don't receive because you ask what? Amiss, that you may consume it on your lusts. Prayer is not my wish list for anything that I want. Now, there's doctrine out there in other circles that would say, ask, and God will give it to you. Just beg hard enough. Pull his chain strong enough, and God will give it to you. No, no, that's not our God. He's in charge. So Jesus then gives us this wonderful, wonderful illustration about our 
father in the parable. Now, let's have some fun here. So, try to put yourself back into the setting. New Testament days, all right, most of us didn't live in houses like they did. And the part of the culture at that time, whenever you had a friend come by, you always, it, was, it, was, it, would, have been, it would have been shameful to not be a good, gracious host and provide some food. Well, they didn't have the gazillion preservatives that we have for our breads today and so forth. So you went to the market generally every day, all right, the ladies go, buy their bread. And I could imagine this man in his home, and he's probably got two teenage sons. And, and you know, they've got this hollow leg, and mom once and went and bought bread at the market that day, and comes home, comes around to supper time, you know, about, about ready, and, and, you know, <laughs> Sammy and, you know, Herkimer, whatever, right? Those guys, they're, they're like, Mom, don't we have any more bread in the house? Yes, 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 go ahead and eat it up. We'll get some more in the morning. And scarf, 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 scarf. It's, it's like, and then, and then they go to the cupboards. Anything else here? Any of you guys eat that way? I remember those glory days. Anyways. Um, well, so they hit the sack at night. And unbeknownst to them, one of their friends is coming to town. And in the middle of the night, they get this knock at the door, at the gate. Hey, Joe, it's your friend Mike. I need a place to stay for the night. Mike, how you doing? Come on in. All right. Yeah, sit down. Sweetheart, could you get some bread for Mike? Uh, come here real quick, Joe. The boys ate all the bread. Oh, no. Everybody in town's going to hear that I don't know how to take care of my guests. This is shameful. And I, that's, now I, I'm having a little bit of fun here, but that, it, it was like almost an unpardonable sin. you've got to feed your guests. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Oh, thank heavens. Bob is next door. Now, so, Mike, come to Joe's house. Joe has no food, all right? Mike has a need. He wants to have food. Joe has a really big need. He has no food, and he needs to give it to Mike, all right? What do we do? Go to Bob's house, all right? Did I get my names right? All right, there we go. Bob's house, all right, there we go. So, here we are, middle of the night, run across now. Many of the homes in those days, and I'm, I'm trying to help you just get the full picture here, and the disciples would have grabbed this right away. The, the houses were usually fairly small in a poor section of town. Um, you, you would bring your animals in for safety and protection, yes, into the home. You know, the cow, the sheep, the goat, probably not the dog, all right? Um, but they would be, now, and I've been in a home like this, and it was, when I saw it, I was in Albania of all things, and when I saw this, like, oh, I've not yet had the privilege to be to Israel. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing that hopefully in about a year here or so. Anyway, so, uh, oh, I get it now. So they had this home, and sure enough, off to the side on the one wall was a manger where the cattle could have their food, and then there was a place where they would park, and they had a structure, stone and wood, built up over where the animals would be kind of like their pen. And up on top there is where the family would sleep. And you say, well, why would they do that? All right, now think for a moment. You're in a warm climate, desert-ish. At night, it doesn't stay warm. It gets cold. You, you, it's like you just brought in your heater when you brought in the cow, 
and the sheep and the goat. All right? Now you say, well, that's kind of gross. Believe me, if you're cold, you'll take heat anywhere, all right? So, so they would often, it was not not uncommon for the family to sleep up above the cattle in the home, this tiny little home. Um, and then at the morning, they'd let the cattle out and all that kind of stuff. So they're all up there sleeping. Well, how do you get up there? Well, usually a ladder, right? There was no nice wooden steps to lead up and a nice locked door. It was just kind of wide open. And mom and dad and the 15 kids would all sleep up there. Now, so here's Bob. The cow's home, the sheep's home, the goat's home. The kids are with him in bed. Now, we could have some, a little bit extra fun and say, that night, Bob's wife said, you know what, I'm going to get up first in the morning to make, make some bread, um, so I'll sleep on the end. And Bob slept over on against the wall, all right? So he's, it's him, 15 kids, <laughs> mom, ladder, front door. Okay, you got the picture, thank you. Okay, so middle of the night, oh, by the way, did I tell you Bob's a really hard sleeper? <laughs> middle of the night, yeah, let's see, all right, so we've got Mike coming to Joe's house. Joe now is running over to Bob. Bob! Bob! And he's knocking on the door. Bob! I need some bread! Well, of course. Who wakes up first? Um, well, the dear sweet wife, who always sleeps lightly because she's caring for all the children. Um, she... Bob! <laughs> what? Well, just as soon as Dad... <laughs> Then the little baby. Ah! All right. And then, of course, dad has got to go over all the kids. And he, it, invariably, when dad sleeps on that end, he always steps on Sally. Ah! All right. There's a little bit of ruckus going on here. Now, when Bob wakes up, and he hears Joe at the door, He's thinking, Joe, what are you doing in the middle of the night at my door? I, I'm way here, over here. I'm under my comfortable blanket. I'm nice and warm. This is going to create a ruckus. It already has. I don't want to get out of bed. Now, I think most of you could relate to that part, right? Uh, we have the crazy alarms that go off nowadays, and it's like, I don't want to get out of bed. Anyway, look, now we come to verse 8. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, kindly disposed to him. There's no kindness in this moment. He will rise and give him all that he needeth because of his importunity, because of the sleeper Bob's importunity. This word's used once in the New Testament. It often, generally in the, the broad depth of Greek, is used in a very negative connotation. It talks about being shameless in doing wrong things. It seems as though Christ is trying to grab the attention of the disciples here. To use something that we, they would often consider negative and say, I, I want you to understand the earnestness, the commitment that the sleeper has to his friend who's at the door. Though it's not convenient, though it's not fun, though it ruins his sleep, though it messes up his family for a little bit, 
Bob will, will get up, go down to the cupboard, find the leftover bread, give it to Jim so Jim can serve his guest at midnight. That friendship was so deep that there was no question in Bob's mind that he would get up. No question. And then Jesus says, how much more essentially will not your father be ready to give all that you need? See, our heavenly father is holy. He's generous. And he's utterly committed to his children. If you know the Lord is your Savior, do you know that God absolutely loves you? You say, of course, Christ died for me. And he still loves you. And he wants you to walk with him, to know him, to enjoy all that he has, the abundant blessings of the Lord. Uh, Paul reminds us in Ephesians, he gives us exceeding abundant above all that we could ask or think. Do, do you live life striving to see what God sees, to see the blessings of God, and be utterly surprised at his blessed answers to your prayers. No, it needs to be according to his will. Just like my, I, I don't ask my dad some questions, I know they already don't know the answer. But then there are wonderful times where I don't know the answer. And with my heavenly father, I say, Father, I, I don't know. I've got, there's this need here in my life. Can, can you help me? I'll do, I'll do whatever you want. I, I, I just, I need help. I need wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally and abradeth not. Your heavenly Father is committed to you, desires to direct your step, desires to, to draw you closer to him, Desires to have you one day stand before Jesus Christ and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And it comes all the way back to my living in a life with just simple prayer to my Heavenly Father. So when we come to verse 9, ask, and it shall be given you. This has nothing to do with us. Not in its first take. This is the heart of my father. Son, ask. I'll be glad to give. Seek. I'll help you find. Knock. You don't have to pound down the door. Knock. I'll open it. What an amazing God we have. Now, do you pray that way? All of this combined says God wants to answer your prayers. Are you praying to a heavenly father that you know well enough that you'll know his will and if you don't, you'll seek it and then discover his generous answer? If he would, for those disciples, give the Holy Spirit. Believe me, the father is absolutely committed to answering your prayer. I could go on, but I'm stopping. Let's do this. Let's stop. Maybe some of you have never prayed this way before. Never realized in your prayer that God is 
committed to you. He loves you as his child. We often take prayer as something that I want to get something for me. Can you turn that in your head around and say, Lord, I'll take whatever you give. I want your will to be done, but I know, I know, it's going to be good. It's going to be full of generosity. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Talk to your father right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. And it's because of who you are that I can come to you in prayer, knowing that you love me, that you're absolutely committed far more than, than Bob is to Jim. Lord, thank you for your love. May I come humbly to you. You're my Father, my Heavenly Father. But may I come knowing that you're absolutely committed to my walk with you, to giving me what is best for my life in your sight and not mine, knowing that there are generous answers from your hand. Thank you for your goodness. And Lord, help us to spend our days talking with our wonderful Heavenly Father. Now before I close today, let's do one more thing. Give me your attention for just a second. Maybe you have a really, really, really big need in your life. I don't know, but your father does. Why don't you just, let's not move about, but you have a friend by you, let's stop. And if you're willing, if it's really super private and you don't want to, I, I'm not forcing your hand. But why don't you share that need with your friend right now? Maybe the two friends share it, Jesus. It's your secret with your father, right? And why don't you stop and ask God to provide that need according to his will. Father, we thank you for the joy and delight of knowing you, and we thank you for your friendship to us, a friendship that's beyond our understanding. Lord, help us to love you, help us to know your will, and may we share all of our needs and burdens with you. In your name we pray, amen.